Chapter Fourteen of The Gloved Hand by Burton E. Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Fourteen: The Fingerprints. A shiver ran through the crowd like a gust of wind across a field of wheat. The words "Mabub is thuggy" seemed to rend the veil which obscured the tragedy. Surely it was clear enough now here was a man killed by a thuggy's peculiar method and here was the thug it was as simple as two and two every eye was on the bare-legged hindu impassive as ever staring straight before him the cameramen hastily pushed in fresh plates and trained their machines upon him two policemen edged close to his side but francisco silva looked ahead about him with scornful eyes and presently he opened his lips as though to speak, and then he closed them. Goldberger seemed perplexed. He looked as though, while rolling smoothly along the road toward a well-understood goal, he had suddenly struck an unforeseen obstacle. The possibility of Mahbub's guilt seemed to interfere with some theory of his own. He called Simmons and the district attorney to him, and they exchanged a few low words. Then they turned back to the witness. "'I should like to question your attendant,' he said. "'Will you translate for me? I have not been able to find a Hindu interpreter.' Silva bowed his consent. "'Ask him, please, where he spent Thursday night.' There was a brief interchange between Silva and Mahbub, then the former turned to Goldberger. "'It was as I thought,' he said. "'He spent the night in the worship of the attributes of Kali.' the coroner opened an envelope which lay on the table at his elbow and took out a piece of knotted cord ask him if he ever saw this before he said and passed it to the witness i notice that it is stained said silva looking at it is it with blood yes and mahbub will not touch it for him to do so would be to defile himself he doesn't need to touch it show it to him silva spoke to his servant holding up the cord the latter glanced at it and shook his head. Without a word, Silva handed the cord back to the coroner. "'Are there any further questions?' he asked. Goldberger pulled at his moustache impatiently. "'There are a lot of questions I'd like to ask,' he said. "'But I feel a good deal as though I were questioning the Sphinx. Isn't it a little queer that a thug should be so particular about a few blood stains?' "'I fear that you are doing Mahbub an injustice in your thoughts.' silva said gravely you have heard certain tales of the thugs perhaps tales distorted and magnified and untrue in the old days as worshippers of kali they did sometimes offer her a human sacrifice but that was long ago to say a man is a thug is not to say he is also a murderer it will take more than that to convict him anyway assented goldberger quickly that is all for the present professor I bit back a smile at the title which came so unconsciously from Goldberger's lips. Silva bowed and walked slowly away toward the house, Mahbub following close behind. At a look from Simmons, two of his men strolled after the strange couple. Goldberger stared musingly after them for a moment, then shook his head impatiently and turned back to the business in hand. "'Will Mr. Swain please take the stand?' he said, and Swain took the chair. "'Now, Mr. Swain,' Goldberger began, after swearing him, "'please tell us, in your own way, of what part you had in the incidents of Thursday night.' 
Swain told his story much as he had told it to Godfrey and me, and I noticed how closely both Goldberger and the district attorney followed it. When he had finished, Goldberger asked the same question that Godfrey had asked. "'While you were having the altercation with Mr. Vaughan, did you grasp hold of him?' "'No, sir. I did not touch him.' "'You are quite sure?' "'Yes, sir.' "'You didn't touch him at any time, then or afterwards?' "'No, sir. I didn't see him afterwards.' "'What were your feelings when he took his daughter away?' "'I was profoundly grieved.' "'And angry?' "'Yes, I suppose I was angry. He was most unjust to me.' "'He had used very violent language to you, had he not?' "'Yes.' "'He had threatened your life if you tried to see his daughter again?' "'Yes.' "'Now, Mr. Swain, as you stood there angry and humiliated, didn't you make up your mind to follow him to the house and have it out with him?' Swain smiled. "'I'm lawyer enough to know,' he said, "'that a question like that isn't permissible.' but I'll answer it. I may have had such an impulse, I don't know, but the sight of the cobra there in the arbor put it effectually out of my head. You still think there was a cobra? I am sure of it. And you ran out of the arbor so fast you bumped your head? I suppose that's what's happened. It's mighty sore anyway. And Swain put his hand to it ruefully. Mr. Swain, went on the coroner slowly, are you prepared to swear that after you hurt your head you might not in a confused and half-dazed condition have followed your previous impulse to go to the house and see mr vaughan yes answered swain emphatically i am although i was somewhat dazed i have a distinct recollection of going straight to the wall and climbing back over it you cut your wrist as you were crossing the wall the first time yes and swain held up his hand and showed the strip of plaster across the wound your right wrist yes it bled freely did it not very freely what became of the clothes you took off when you changed into those brought by mr godfrey i don't know mr lester told me they were left here i intended to inquire for them at a sign from goldberger simmons opened a suitcase and placed a bundle on the table goldberger unrolled it and handed it to swain are these the clothes he asked yes said swain after a moment's examination will you hold the shirt up so the jury can see it Swain held the garment up, and everybody's eyes were fixed upon the blood-soaked sleeve. "'There seems to have been a good deal of blood,' remarked Goldberger. "'It must have run down over your hand.' "'It did. It was all over my fingers.' "'So that it would probably stain anything you touched?' "'Yes, very probably.' "'Did you think of that when you were in the arbor with Miss Vaughan?' Swain's face suddenly crimsoned, and he hung his head. "'I'm afraid not,' he said. "'How was she dressed?' and a white robe of some silk-like material. A robe that would show a blood-stain? Undoubtedly. Goldberger paused for an instant, and then produced a pad, such as one uses for inking rubber stamps, opened it, and placed it on the table before him. "'Have you any objection to giving me a set of your fingerprints?' he asked. "'None whatsoever.' And Swain stepped toward the table, and placed the tips of his fingers on the pad. Then he pressed each one carefully upon the pad of paper which the coroner placed before him. Goldberger watched him curiously until all ten impressions had been made. "'You did that as though you had done it before,' he remarked. "'I made a set once for Mr. Vaughan,' said Swain, sitting down again. "'He had a most interesting collection.' Goldberger passed the prints over to the head of the Bureau of Identification, 
then he turned back to the witness mr swain he said have you ever seen this cord before and he handed him the knotted cord swain took it and examined it curiously without hesitation or repugnance no he said finally i never saw it before do you know what it is and goldberger watched him closely i infer that it is the cord with which mr vaughan was strangled that is so you did not see it around his neck i have no recollection of having done so please look at the cord again mr swain said goldberger still watching him you will see that it is knotted can you describe those knots for me swain looked at the knots and i was glad to see that his hands were absolutely steady and his face free from fear no murderer could handle so unconcernedly the instrument of his crime surely the jury would see that the knots said swain at last seem to be an ordinary square knot with which the cord was made into a noose and then a double bowline to secure it a double bowline can you tie such a knot certainly anyone who has ever owned a boat can do so it is the best knot for this purpose the coroner reached out for the cord and replaced it in the envelope then he produced the handkerchief can you identify this he asked and handed it to the witness swain changed colour a little as he took it i cannot identify it he said in a low voice but i will say this when miss vaughan found that my wrist was bleeding she insisted upon tying her handkerchief around it this may be the handkerchief again a little shiver ran through the crowd and goldberger's eyes were gleaming you notice that two corners of the handkerchief are free from stain he said and are crumpled as though they had been tied in a knot the handkerchief miss vaughan used would probably be in that condition would it not yes swain answered his voice still low you heard dr hinman testify that he found the handkerchief beside the chair in which mr vaughan was murdered yes can you explain its presence there i cannot unless it dropped from my wrist when i stooped to raise miss vaughan goldberger looked at the witness for a moment then he glanced at sylvester who nodded almost imperceptibly that is all for the present mr swain the coroner said and swain sat down again beside me very pale but holding himself well in hand then simmons took the stand his story developed nothing new but he told of the finding of the body and of its appearance and manner of death in a way which brought back the scene to me very vividly i suspected that he made his story deliberately impressive in order to efface the good impression made by the previous witness finally the coroner dipped once more into the suitcase brought out another bundle and unrolled it it proved to be a white robe with red stains about the top he handed it to simmons can you identify this he asked yes said simmons it is the garment worn by mr vaughan at the time of his murder how do you identify it by my initials in indelible ink on the right sleeve where i placed them there are stains on the collar of the robe what are they blood stains human blood yes sir how do you know i have had them tested did any blood come from the corpse no sir the skin of the neck was not broken where then in your opinion did this blood come from from the murderer answered simmons quietly there was a sudden gasp from the reporters as they saw whether this testimony was tending i glanced at swain he was a little paler but was smiling confidently goldberger his face hawk-like stooped again to the suitcase produced a third bundle and unrolling it disclosed another robe also of white silk this too he handed to simmons can you identify that he asked 
yes said simmons it is the robe worn by miss vaughan on the night of the tragedy my initials are on the left sleeve that also has blood marks on it i believe yes sir and indeed we could all perceive the marks human blood yes sir i had it tested too that is all said goldberger quickly and placed on the stand the head of the identification bureau mr sylvester he began you have examined the marks on these garments yes sir what did you make of them they are all unquestionably finger marks but most of them are mere smudges however the fabric of which these robes are made is a very hard and finely meshed silk with an unusually smooth surface and i succeeded in discovering a few marks on which the lines were sufficiently distinct for purposes of identification these i have photographed the lines are much plainer in the photographs than on the cloth have you the photographs with you i have and sylvester produced them from a pocket these are the prints on the robe belonging to the murdered man he added passing four cards to the coroner you will notice that two of them show the right thumb though one is not very distinct another shows the right forefinger and the fourth the right middle finger you consider these plain enough for purposes of identification undoubtedly any one of them would be enough goldberger passed the photographs to the foreman of the jury who looked at them vacantly and the other photographs he asked i only got two prints from the other robe said sylvester all but these were hopelessly smudged as though the hand had moved while touching the garment you mean they were all made by one hand said goldberger yes sir by the right hand again i have a print of the thumb and one of the third finger he passed the photographs over and again goldberger handed them on to the jury mr sylvester said the coroner you consider the fingerprint method of identification a positive one do you not absolutely so even with a single finger perhaps with a single finger there may be some doubt if there is no other evidence somebody has computed that the chance of two prints being exactly the same is one in sixty-four millions and where there is other evidence i should say that a single finger was enough suppose you have two fingers then it is absolutely certain and three fingers sylvester shrugged his shoulders to indicate that proof could go no further goldberger took back the photographs from the foreman of the jury and ranged them before him on the table now mr sylvester he said did you notice any correspondence between these prints yes answered the witness in a low voice the thumb-prints on both robes were made by the same hand the audience sat spellbound staring scarcely breathing i dared not glance at swain i could not take my eyes from that pale-faced man on the witness-stand who knew that with every word he was riveting an awful crime to a living fellow-being one question more said goldberger have you any way of telling by whom these prints were made yes said sylvester again and his voice was so low i could scarcely hear it they were made by frederick swain the prints he made just now correspond with them in every detail end of chapter fourteen read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com